Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. This episode of The Drum is brought to you by 15 Hertz and the Marcus Graham Project and is sponsored by PepsiCo, Beats Electronics, and Usher's New Look Foundation. Don't click that button. And good afternoon. I am Derezi Morin, and I want to say thank you for tuning in to The Drum. My co-host today is Selena Devon. Say hello, Selena. Hello, guys. How are you doing? <laughs> oh, we're doing well. This is the last week, Selena, the last week that we've been in Dallas and around the whole nation doing advertising and working with our clients. How do you feel? Uh, I'm excited uh, for this new chapter. The summer was very intense and challenging, and we learned a lot, and we, I think all of us grew a lot, so it's exciting to see what's going to happen after this amazing program. Very true. So just, we grew a lot. I, mean, I think I learned a lot about myself, my strengths, right. my weaknesses, like who I am as a person. Um, and in my place in the world, like a lot of it's, purpose-driven and finding a purpose in life. So I think, you know, this 12 weeks, if anything, there's more clarity on what my purpose is. Definitely. I kind of feel the same way. I felt like I I found my purpose even more by being here and by being challenged by people around me. Because, you know, like we have 15 times people and everybody had something to say. So you had to, like, make sure you were saying the right thing all the time or being the right way, acting the right way, thinking the right way, doing the best you can do, and figure everything out, basically, and it was intense, but it was very um, inspiring and motivational. Too. Yeah, um, so today we're going to be interviewing Chauncey Barnes, um, who's the content strategist at Translation, yep. but before we get to him, let's, let, let, let the listeners learn a little bit more about you, Selena, since this is the first time you're on air, tell us a little bit more about your story. Oh my gosh. Uh, well, I am. I was born in born and raised in French Guiana in South America. It's a, French Guiana is the overseas department of France. And then I moved to Paris, studied psychology for two years and English and Spanish. Then I moved to the U.S. and I had my bachelor in Iowa at this in a small town with 2,000 inhabitants. So that was very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> And then I moved to San Francisco to uh, do my master in advertising as an art director. And now I'm in Dallas. Now you're in Dallas. That's great. Great journey that brought you here. So I'm going to play a little bit of music. And like I said, we're going to get to uh, our our guest speaker. But just right right before I go to the music break and introduce our guest speaker, Selena and I did something really cool last night. Selena, what did we do? What did we do? Last night? Yes. Oh, we went to see Seattle Content. <laughs> what? <laughs> yes, very true. We had the opportunity to um, 
get some uh, advanced screening tickets to see Straight Outta Compton. Um, last night, it comes out on the 14th, but I just want to say, you guys, definitely go see it. Just go see it. It's it's a real, it's real. It's yeah. real. We're gonna, it's so good. Like, it's a very, very good movie, like, from all technical and detail level. Like, they really was immaculate, Yep, I think. Yeah. Yep, I agree, I agree. So, um, let me play a little bit of music, and then uh, we're going to get straight to our guest speaker again, Chaunter Barnes from Translations. All right. Awesome. I'm going to... back. We are back, and I want to say thank you guys for waiting, because our guest speaker is live and on air, so, Chauncey? Hey, how goes? Hey, you know, we play something, you know, something jazzy and nice just for you. <laughs> how yeah, you doing? That was actually, that was really fresh. I don't know the name of that song, but I definitely recognize that uh, it that was sample. later sampled by Little Brother. Yeah, I thought you had just deeply researched me. So I'm from Greensboro, North Carolina, and I was at NCCU when Little Brother came together. We all stayed in the dorm together, and whatnot. So I thought you uh, were basically cueing me in on a on a little little brother note. Well, actually, you know, I do do some research, and I did see that you are from North Carolina, and then you went to school in Philly. So you know, I do like to have a little background. That's actually an instrumental that my friend. We did, and I was like, you know, this is perfect. This seems like it's going to be perfect for him. Perfect, perfect. So I'm happy you like that. <laughs> not mad at all. Hey. <laughs> so, John, we have Selena, who's our co-host for today, and we want to say thank you on behalf of 15 Hertz and the Marcus Grant Project for coming on air and even speaking to us when we were in New York last week. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So absolutely. It's a pleasure. Hey, Selena. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> So, Chauncey, when we were talking, uh, you said that you stumbled upon the position that you 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 are in right now. So, let's let's hear your origin story. How did you get to become the con- content strategist, the executive director of content strategy at Translation? 
Sure, yeah. So I'll, I'll go all the way deep. I um, originally from the Mid-Atlantic, um, again, Greensboro, North Carolina, by way of in my high school years, um, suburban Maryland, Gaithersburg, Frederick, Maryland, et cetera, and um, went to school, went to undergrad, uh, unlike what you just said, in Philly, very far from, not very far from Philly, but very far socially from Philly, in this very small town, uh, most famous for a battle 150 years ago, Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. And so um, coming up just almost, I would say two things, in the late 90s, uh, when the major influx of black and brown people out of New York were bringing a lot of them to to the D.C. area and to the, and to the Carolinas. I grew up somewhat in the shadow of New York, and uh, basically everybody I knew who um, from any one of my networks, whether it was people I knew from back home or people I had gone to school with, everybody was kind of coming to New York to strike out for their own respective fortunes, and I felt the need to kind of cut the other way to to do anything but come to New York, and so I had this band in college called Copa Crescent, which was um, kind of a was like an organic hip hop band. Um, the elevator pitch for which was is Ben Harper meets the Roots, and um, we were doing pretty well in in college, and we decided by we I mean myself who wrote all the lyrics and the music director who wrote all the music, uh, we decided to get as far away from the East Coast and the shadow of New York as we could which we originally thought was going to be Seoul or Barcelona or wherever, and we wound up just getting as far as the West Coast. So we went to Portland, Oregon, kind of in this roundabout. It's, I don't know if you remember you know, one of the early scenes in Coming to America where they spin the globe and put their fingers down. That's kind oh, of what we yeah, did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so it landed on Portland, Oregon. I had never been there. I put, long story short, my bags on my back and moved to Portland, Oregon and went out there to play music. And I was uh, a philosophy major in undergrad. And by the way, I keep saying undergrad as if some kind of master's or PhD is coming down the line. Uh, it, it's not. Maybe, so maybe. <laughs> I guess I should say college. So I went to college um, for philosophy, and I very much enjoyed it. I very much enjoyed every tool that it put in my kit, the things that it made me think about, the um, various ways I learned how to articulate myself, um, both kind of in writing and in presentation format, like kind of live presentation formats. And all that was great, but, you know, for the, for the most part, in terms of employability, everybody thinks that that is basically a feeder program for law school, and I was no exception to that rule. So I got out there. I wanted to do music, but I also wanted to have, you know, kind of play, play my safety card, and I was thinking, all right, I'll just go to law school one day. And I needed a day job anyway, so I started to work in this law office, very pristine, big big deal law office out there as, I don't know, some kind of functionary, and hated it, immediately hated it, and befriended a couple of lawyers and saw what their lives were and knew that I was going to hate it even if I was making, you know, 15x the amount of dollars, I was just going to hate it, my soul was going to reject it. And so I started to poke around for other opportunities um, basically to just be this day job. And my big question for myself was, what's the day job that's going to be more in line with what I'm trying to do more holistically, which was mature to band and basically be an artist, um, excuse me, a lifestyle artist. And, um, again, this is a longer story than I think we have time for, but the, the long and short of it is I wind up bumping into Dan Wyden. Somebody introduces me to Dan Wyden and gets me a meeting with him to basically just endear myself to him. And 
I come in and I realize very quickly, first of all, I don't know anything about Dan Wyden. I don't know he's the guy that wrote Just Do It. I don't know he's a big deal. I just know his name is on the outside of this company. And then I get inside the building and I'm like, oh, wow, this is an amazing building, but it looks like an office park. I really don't know who this guy is. and He certainly doesn't know who I am. And so it's very clear uh, kind of from the onset that he didn't know if I was there to, I don't know, get him to give money to the baby seals or sell him a vacuum cleaner <laughs> or what. And, uh, and so we just had a very open and frank chat about, man, I, I know this is going to sound cheesy and crazy, but life. We just talked about life for like an hour and a half. And that was the way I met Dan Wyden. I just sat on his couch and we talked about why there will never be another great heavyweight and what we like about you know, this, this, that, and the third, and his camp, and my mentorship program that I was a part of, and how we might be able to do something together, and my music, and my reference set, and Gil Scott Heron, and it was just what it was. And um, from there, it was a fairly short path to figuring out that I wanted to be a part of the Widen Network. I wanted to be a part of what was going on there. I just didn't know how. And over the next few months, um, I just I met a ton of people there. Melanie Myers, who now still runs Global Creative Recruitment, there met me and walked me around the building. By that point, I'm starting to recognize that you know I'm seeing people that I recognize from the building at my shows, and they're like fans of my band and whatnot. So I just spent a lot of time kind of connecting dots and trying to get in and trying to meet people around. And and luckily, you know, I had Dan's blessing. Like somebody figure out a role for this kid. And they were looking at me for um, their, their, like, school, which is kind of like boot camp here. It's called um, 12. And one day the media director just called me out of the blue and was like, hey, you're the poet. I've heard of you. Why don't you come in here and talk to me? And um, I went to go talk to him. He asked me what I knew about media. I had to admit I knew nothing. He gave me the media handbook, which is a very dry tome. It's basically a textbook about how to calculate reach over frequency and so on and so forth, and um, told me to come back. I read the book. I came back. He asked me if I wanted to do media. I said, no, that sounds awful. <laughs> he said, okay, great, because that's not what we're doing here. And then he hit me with the dog and pony show of kind of what comm strategy and what media was at Widen specifically, and it sounded very exciting. Um, and, again, to fast forward, I joined as a as a media, as a, like an assistant media planner, um, shortly thereafter, I worked on Converse, and um, I worked on a lot of other things on, on the way kind of up the chain over the next few years um, in media, first as a planner and buyer, then as a comp strategist who was working a little higher up. I became part of this digital strategy team that was attached to EA. It was basically figuring out ways to future-proof um, EA's investment both within Widen, as in their attachment to Widen, as well as, um, you know, what they were going to do with some major acquisitions that they had just made and how it was going to impact their business overall and what the forthcoming, what we later learned to call programmatic wave was going to create for them. And so, you know, I got some good tech, digity, digital, digital nerd cred in that case. And, um, you know, is a scenario where I felt like I was kind of done with um, – I felt like I had created a gun that shot that could shoot really far, and we were using the same bullets. So I kept trying to push my way into creative, and finally I got recruited as a creative um, 
from Wyden to the Martin Agency under John Norman. And John Norman, who I knew from the Wyden, or I knew of from the Wyden days and really respected and admired his work, basically brought me in and, and gave me a role that was, you know, basically hooking up all the pipes between concepts that lived on the wall and the way that they needed to live in the world. And so, long story short, again, media, digital strategy, and creative all kind of sum themselves up into the role that I um, took and now enjoy today, Director of Context Strategy at Translation, which I can break down if and only if you need it. I feel like that was pretty long-winded. <laughs> nah, it's good. It was necessary to show your story. Um, nowadays, you know, we see so many creative people out here, and everybody does want to make music, but sometimes they forget to, to to know that their talents are transferable. And I think your story is a good example of it, that, you know, that we all have transferable skills that can be applied on different places. And obviously, I know you still probably do music and you still write. You know, you played some, some tracks for us <laughs> when we was in the office. So I, I know you still are um, exercising your love and your passion in addition to being creative in these other settings. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Cool. Yeah, I agree too. I think it it was very interesting to like hear the, the transition from being not knowing really what you wanted to do and figure it out throughout through your journey. Because like sometimes we like uh, when we are young, we don't really know what we want to do. We think we do, and yeah, then, <laughs> but then again, the thing is like, and you because you don't know, you get scared to try things out. Mm. So like by your story is just showcasing that she was just. He was just open to any opportunity, so that's great to know. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's also important to just kind of recognize that, you know, I just turned 35 two weeks ago, and so now I'm feeling, um, you know, those multiples of five birthday always make you reflect a little bit harder than the ones in between. And, and honestly, you know, I still don't know what I want to be or what I want to do in the long run. I think it's important to stay nimble. And to one of your points, I can't remember which of you said it, recognize that skills are transferable, recognize that there are skills that are that are pretty general that can be applied from theater to theater and to continue to develop those even after you get, you know, the title and the office and the job and the whatever income and blah 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 blah. It it it's still kind of a constant pursuit of excellence, however you define excellence. And I think those real those moments of bravery where you know, you can pack up and move to Portland sight unseen or where you can tell a guy straight in his face you don't want that job that you just read about in this super dry book. Those are important, um, and and they're important to keep even as you layer on things in your life that would otherwise convince you to be more conservative. So I think, you know, I'm I'm still striving to be that brave, and hopefully you haven't heard the last from me yet. As much as I love the job, as much as I love the craft, as much as I love um, kind of the vocabulary and the skill set associated with doing this. I also hope to parlay this even even now into something else to be determined later. Granted. So um, everybody knows, well, a lot of people know that I'm the media planner of the group, and you remember I was talking to you about that, but oftentimes people don't really understand media planning. Like they, they it blows them away or they just don't they get it, because that's the only way they see the ad. So why don't you talk about, like, media planning and the strategic creative part of it, because you have to be strategic and creative. 
Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it is, uh, I mean, well, the first place to start is why people are, are both turned off by and also, frankly, a little bit intimidated by media. One aspect of that is that it's numbers-driven and it requires a certain amount of kind of, you know, I, I like to call it like wax on, wax off. In order to be good at media planning in any way, shape, form, or fashion, you have to learn these fundamentals, and those fundamentals are very dry. So back to Daniel's son waxing off the car, waxing on the car, painting the fence. It takes a while before you realize you're learning to block punches, right? And that 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 time, that little trough between the first day you start as a media planner and you're making a closed date calendar or you're solving discreps or you're doing all those boring things. You're stacking impressions and counting them and making sure that the Excel formulas are right from tab to tab to tab until the moment where you really get your first, I came up with that contact strategy and I see people react to and respond to that thing that I put in that very specific place in that incredible way. That, 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 that time period right there, is where, A, a lot of people who never become media professionals or never gain a media fluency, rather, um, fall out. And, you know, much to their they'll, – they'll see later why that was a bad choice to fall out. Um, and that's also where a lot of people get turned off. That moment where you bump into something that – or, sorry, you see someone else bump into something that you very strategically put right there for that particular person to bump into, um, there's no reward like that. I mean, there's no kickback. Um, that can that can really compare to that aside from feeling the exact same way that I felt when I would look out into a crowd and see somebody mouthing my own lyrics back at me, right? It's a, um, literally, it's an engagement that you perceived in your own head and you had to set all the conditions right so that somebody else would have this particular emotional experience. And it's just, it's incredibly satisfying and rewarding. So, I think it's very easy to, once, once you, again, clear that, that trough where everything is boring and awful and you get to that place where, again, there's a, there's a tremendous amount of, of individual pride in it and there's also, if you are at all a, kind of a team player, it's recognizing that this portion of this idea started with you and this portion of this idea started with everybody else and you just appreciate that alchemy that a team can create. For me, the very first time when I really, really felt it, whatever, too, the first one was creating a roll gate. This is a straight media buy. It was a roll gate off of the Rolling Stone that had Obama on the cover with no text on it. And I, had to, I owned the roll gate that rolled out of that. And it was just a, it was a momentous moment for me to just did all the stars aligned. And this black man who would later go on to be president, which seemed almost, you could argue, before that Rolling Stone moment, to me, it seemed far-fetched that it was, I thought it was, you know, Jesse Jackson all over again. Uh, um, you know, to just to just have a stake in that moment was terrifically rewarding for me. The second was when I did these interactive windows for the Coraline launch for a feature film. Amazing. And in, within the feature film, uh, one, of the, one of the ways that they signify whether what side of the kind of looking glass you're on is on the quote-unquote dark side, all the characters have buttons over their eyes. And so we made basically a, a window display that had what appeared to be a mirror but was really just a, a screen that was playing back you in real time so that it looked like a mirror except for we digitized these buttons and they sat on, they would sit on your eyes, they would recognize where your eyes were and then within the display put these buttons on your eyes. And I stood out in Georgetown watching 
these people walk by this thing, you know, kind of look backwards, recognize that they had seen themselves, back up, look into the mirror, and these buttons would appear. And the way that they reacted, just, I mean, the visceral way that they reacted to that, the joy, the surprise, it was it was enough to keep me hooked for good. So, you know, it's, it's those moments that really, I think, keep you motivated after you clear that trough. Uh, and if you buy into those moments and, and you remain motivated by it, then you're going to find ever increasingly kind of creative ways to apply it. To And to think about the toolkit more broadly than what ads can I buy or what space can I buy. And you start to think about what are what are the moments that I can broker and what are the tools that I need to do so. And that's a much more general idea than, you know, what kind of ad, what kind of ad space is there for purchase. You know, I'm right now just obsessed with, um, with this moment that I'm that I'm learning is is really part of um, a community, right? The community of Airbnb has, like any other, has rituals, has conventions that harden over time. And one of the ones that I've noticed in in my travels, just going around the world, traveling with my family, living in other people's homes, if only for a weekend or so, is there's this amazing kind of like exchange. When you arrive and you're staying at someone else's home, there's often kind of a welcoming gift. And then when you leave, you have a tendency to leave a parting gift. And Mm -hmm. you know, the the last the house that we rented down in North Carolina this past holiday to house all my family and and do the whole thing. It it belonged to this other family. They also had kids who were about my daughter's age, and she left the little kid who lived in that house this gorgeous little, this gorgeous drawing on her easel. And it just, to me, that's a moment that I know is being had by thousands of people all around, you know, all throughout this network of Airbnb. And that moment, that thing is something to seize onto, and that's a media opportunity. That's not something you can buy, but that is something that I can fabricate. So let's say I've got an idea wherein, I don't know, um, I'm, I don't know, I got neighborhood sessions, right? Neighborhood sessions is a state farm property. It's all about people returning home to the communities that birthed them, so on and so forth, to have a concert and, and, and interact with the people that made them great. Well, let's pretend that, that journey home was more of the story than just arriving home. Imagine a scenario where Toby Keith or Jennifer Lopez or Pink or whoever winds up in a scenario where they're staying in people's homes via mm-hmm. Airbnb. And imagine a scenario in which somebody who we've already pre-qualified it as a fan of that person gets this amazing thank you note that they later find out was actually from J-Lo, was actually from this person, was actually from that person. Again, you get back to a moment where you're creating a terrifically, A, emotional, and therefore, B, media-positive moment that people can't help but share. And even when you didn't experience it first party, you can't help but move something like that along. You want to pay that forward. You want to participate in stories like that. You want to broker stories like that. You want to share that moment, even if you didn't have it. And creating those moments, creating those electric moments is really what the craft is about. Once you get to a certain part in the game, you stop talking about, you know, impression loads. You stop talking about audience overlap just for the sake thereof. And you start to think about, you know, what's the alchemy between people that I can influence directly or indirectly through inserting things in their lives 
whether it be through ad space, through something as low to the ground as something on their whiteboard that they didn't know, that they have no idea who that person was, and that's part of the charm of the idea, or whatever. Yeah, that's I, that's awesome. I do see that more and more advertising is just about great moments, great moments in culture, impacting culture, um, like you all in translation say, and just leaving something that's going to be memorable and, most importantly, that's going to move you. So, Chauncey, I want to just say thank you for being on the air with us. We don't really have much time left, so we're going to have to just end the conversation here. Um, and if do you have any social media platforms people can follow you at? Uh, no, nah, I don't have anything I want anybody to follow me on, except except for Medium. I like to write on Medium. It's my preferred format right now. So you can find me on Medium at Chocchaus, C-H-O-C-C-H-A-U-C-E. And um, also, I am right now juicing and promoting uh, my South by Southwest panel that I want to do this March. So go check that wow. out. It's called... Uh, it's called Rockstar 10101. It's a discussion and, and some forward thinking about what happens when data becomes a medium for creative expression for some of the greatest musical artists in the world instead of just a targeting tool for advertisers who are basically using the data they create to target their ads. So, oh, wow. vote for me with the cool. panel picker, South by Southwest. You can just look it up by my name, Chaucer Barnes. And yeah, of course, check me out on Medium. At Choc Choss, like chocolate Choss. Get it? <laughs> All right. Thank, thank you so much, Choss. I, I want to say hey to everybody else at Translation. Thanks for letting us in. And I hope to see you all soon. We hope to see yeah, you as well. You all continue to be great. Thank you so much. And um, best to you, your listeners, and everybody who gets to benefit as a result of being in your network. All right, then. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you next week. <laughs> Please do. Be well. Alright, bye. Oh, that was so strong. I don't know. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.